So, uh, first church that I served in Middleway, West Virginia. When I, it, I wasn't there long, and I heard about a conflict that they had. They wanted to tell me about a conflict that had split the church, basically. And they had had a couple along the way. Um, but they wanted to share this with me uh, so I could know some of the history of the church. And so I was preparing myself for something grand along these lines of this Acts chapter 15 uh, that we had heard. Um, and so I was ready to hear just about anything uh, about the way people had uh, acted or what they had argued about or what some pastor had done. Here was the conflict. The folks that were in charge of setting the communion elements out onto the table, the plates that were the bread and the cup where the juice would go, wanted to be able to access their plates and their cup a little bit easier. So they wanted to move the altar that was up against the back of the wall in the, in the uh, um, what's it called where the preacher stands? Pulpit area. That's called something else too. Uh, but they wanted to move the altar out from the wall three inches so that they could access the drawers that are back behind the altar which are supposed to hold the plates and the cup. Um, three inches. They wanted to move it out from the wall so they could easily access and they wouldn't have to move it out each week that there was a communion. Three inches. And the church split over that. Three inches of moving the... If you were sitting where you are, even if it was Rob and Jennifer, you wouldn't be able to tell with all the trappings of the table that it was out from the wall. The only way is if you came up behind and you could see uh, three inches. Now God only knows uh, what was up with those three inches. I have a couple guesses, um, but we don't need to go into that. The point was this conflict uh, split the church because people took sides. And then not only split the church, but it hurt the church and it hurt the community because uh, when you are in conflict, nobody wants to hear the good news from you. And so it's an issue. And so this month while we're talking about sharing life, um, sharing the word, and sharing the love of God with others, um, we need to um, stop here just for a moment, because even the early church um, had some early conflict, and they had some problems that they had to address, uh, or it was going to be all over uh, before it even started. And so what has happened here um, in this scripture is that um, the God has started to, to go out, again, beyond Jerusalem and Judea, into Samaria, into places uh, where even Gentiles, so non-Jewish folks, uh, were starting to hear, and they were starting to receive the Spirit, and they were starting to do some amazing things in the name of God. And so that's happening uh, as, as we speak and as these chapters hold one to another. Um, and then, uh, words are getting back the Jerusalem leader. Now let's just pause just one second and just remind ourselves uh, that this was never intended to be a new thing. This was the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. Jesus was the Savior, uh, so it wasn't supposed to be something new beyond Judaism. This is the fulfillment of God's promise that he made to his people in Jesus. And so at this point, they're still 
though, though worship is Jesus is happening in synagogues as a continuation. They're, they're celebrating the Savior Jesus. Um, and so just, let's just keep that for, for a moment. Uh, and so as the word goes out, what happens is these people in Jerusalem, these leaders, these Pharisaic leaders, these Pharisees, they start to hear uh, that Gentiles are being converted. Now that's good, that's cool. Um, but what they've heard that's upset them is they're not being circumcised. And they say, hey, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so the basic of the problem is the Pharisees want them to become Jewish first, to be, you know, convert to the faith of Judaism first, and then um, you can believe in the Savior. Uh, not the other way, you know, not, not in any other way. You've got to be one of us first, and, and then you can receive the Savior, Jesus. And that has not been the experience of Paul and Barnabas and Peter and the others that have gone out beyond the walls. They have seen the Holy Spirit working in people who are of the family. Amen? So they called them back. They said, y'all got to come back and, and uh, deal with this. Um, and, and, and actually, the church in Antioch sends them back and sends some representatives back to represent what's going on out on the fringes. And so they come back to start to have this conversation. Now, this conflict is not about a altar. This is not a minor thing. This is a major conflict because it is how they, human leaders, believe God interacts with people. God and who God will give his grace to. Um, and so this is a God argument. This is not a piece of furniture or what type of music you like argument that we have in churches now. about. And this is not anything about God. This is the thing about God. Because it goes way to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to check it out. Where God makes the covenant with Abraham and says in black and white in the text, in the Bible, Genesis 17 was I mean, Genesis 17 and 11, and follow. It says that you have to be circumcised at males. Your males have to be circumcised. If you're not, you're cut off from God. So this is no mind. They're not just making this up, in other words, the Pharisees. A lot of times we're hard on Pharisees. Uh, but in this case, uh, they're not just making up something and trying to be angry. They're saying, hey, the scriptures talk about this. And so the first thing that happens is uh, Paul gives a report. He says, look, you know, I'm telling you, they're... they're God is working in the lives of these Gentiles. Then Peter stands up as mentor. Peter's been working with Paul and, and teaching him the way, and, and that's one of the keys to getting this result is Peter lets Paul have his time, and then Peter stands as the elder, and then he talks to the people and says, you know, not only is Paul, but I've seen it too. Um, and then further, James gets up. And James was at very least, you know, very close to Jesus, and at most is his other. Uh, depends on how you read the scriptures. James stands up and says, hey, look, guys, you know, Paul's right, Peter's right, God is, whether you like it, God is giving the Holy Spirit to these uncircumcised folks. And so then they go on and uh, come to an agreement. James actually leads the way on this, and he says, you know, he quotes scripture from Amos that says, um, hey, I will build David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what's been torn for it. The rest of humanity will see it. Even all Gentiles belong to me. The Lord says, the one who does things. And so James quotes scripture as well. And says, look, it was always part of God's plan to bring in the Gentiles. And we're seeing it happen. Let's not argue about it. Let's celebrate it. Let's figure out how we can move forward. And so that kind of closes out this conference. 
uh, or this council that they're having in Jerusalem, and then they agree to send the letter out. Well, let's send the letter out so the people out on the fringes, the Pharisees out on the fringes will believe us and believe you and let you do your work and not force them to be um, circumcised. There is one other important piece to this. James and Peter and Paul and Barnabas and the other leaders, along with these Pharisees, they say, however, not every goes. You know, they don't have to be circumcised. In other words, they don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. But let's not let them get confused and say anything goes. We're still going to have some, that, you know, they still have to be, they have to be Christian. They can't just say, hey, we believe in Jesus without. Because one of the issues that was happening out beyond Samaria on was there were temples all over the place where these Gentiles were worshipping before these so basically temples they were worshipping the emperor. And and terrible things happened in these temples. And they and so they wanted to make sure the compromise was like, well, have to be circumcised. But you can't do these things in the temple either. You can't eat things that have been sacrificed to the emperor. You can't drink the blood, because they were doing weird stuff with blood. They were doing weird sexual stuff in the temple with prostitutes and paying. You know, so it was all. So James takes all that out with this compromise, and and then so that's why we get this in verse twenty where he says, um, "Let's avoid all the pollution associated with idols, with the sexual immorality that's in the temples, eating meat from strangled animals and consuming blood. Can't do any of that. You don't have to be circumcised, but you can't nipper either." And so they kind of compromise there, and they move on. And as they do this, and they send the apostles back, and they take this letter with them, um, this kind of comes to a close, and the church spreads, spreads, and spreads. Uh, they do it. You know, it's a all for one thing. Really, this case is closed. Uh, you don't, you know, the circumcision, circumcision issue is closed. Uh, the Gentile versus Jew is closed in terms of this issue. And we can thank the leadership of Paul and Barnabas and uh, Peter, James, uh, for, for coming to this compromise. And so why is it important to, to study this Jerusalem council in the midst of this sharing life? Because it matters. It matters to the outside world. Uh, and so those that um, are, are hungry for some hope, um, they want hope from people that, um, A, they can trust. And B, they want to be part of a winning team. And C, they want to come in. They have enough bickering and arguing and conflict in their own everyday lives at work or at home. They don't want to come in to have to come to a church where we're arguing. Amen? All right, so it does matter. And so, and it goes not just within church conflict, but if you're having conflict in your own home, if Rob and Jennifer are battling and conflicting with one another or with family members or at work with others, um, they're not in a healthy situation to share life with others. Nobody at Jennifer's over at the college wants to hear her talk about her relationship with Christ if all she's ever doing is talking about her argument with Rob. Alright? And so, um, you know, because this is a religion of peace, right? Peace and love. Well, she doesn't have peace and love. She's always talking terrible about Rob. And her life's a mess. And so, it, it matters. We think we can decompartmentalize that and separate it out. We can't. I mean, the people can't that are hearing us. And they're paying attention to that. And so we have to get our house in order in order to be effective uh, life sharers out in the community. Um, it has had major impacts in the, in 
the life and history of the church. And I'm going to close out with a little bit of history with that. Uh, I'm not sure if you know too much, and I'm not an expert in it either, but um, the rise of uh, Islam. Uh, of course, Muhammad took root in northern Africa. And one of the reasons um, Islam took root at all, and took root in northern Africa, is because the Christian church was in conflict in North Africa. That was one of the reasons. Um, a second reason was that um, the Christians there wanted the Africans um, to look and act and sing and dress and dance and eat like them. And if they didn't, they weren't real Christians. And so that was a whole other issue. But the conflict was the major thing. Because when the Muslims came in and they took over North Africa, the church was divided and split. Uh, they had had an issue. It's an issue that, that goes back to um, the third century. Uh, in northern Africa, the Christian Christianity was strong in, in the 200s. Um, and then there started to be, uh, it really depended on the emperor, but there was um, an emperor named Diocletian. And Diocletian in 290, so the last part of the 3rd century, he started persecuting Christians. And then what the Christian church did in North Africa was that um, if, you, uh, if you hid the fact that you were a Christian, or you turned in your documents and your Bible, um, then you were safe. Uh, if not, you were persecuted, killed, imprisoned, or, or whatever. Um, and so the church started dealing with that by in their own little way. Um, when Diocletian uh, died and Constantine took over, things improved for the church. And in fact, Constantine's going to make uh, Christianity the Roman, uh, or the Empire's official um, religion, and things were getting real good for the church uh, during his time. Um, but the effects of this turning over the documents still, um, still remain. And so they had, so the church split in North Africa is what I'm getting to. And so they elected a bishop there in North Africa in Carthage called Donatus. And Donatus represented all the Christians that resisted the, the, the urge to turn in your Bibles. And so the Donatus said that you can't, you're not, you're, you're a banned from the church if you, if you renounce Christianity during the persecution. And then they had another bishop named Sicilian, might be more familiar he had all the other Christians. Like, he took everybody else. And so the church was split. And the church in North Africa never recovered from that split. Um, and so when the Muslims came in and it took root, they just destroyed the broken church. And so, you know, I, you know who knows what would have happened otherwise, uh, but the church had, Christianity had no chance. Um, even as the uh, Donatists kind of uh, went away and church kind of came back together, it was too late, and they were wiped off the map in terms of North Africa, um, and the Muslims really uh, took that as their home ground and, and spread from there. So if the church doesn't argue about um, who's pure and who's not uh, in North Africa, maybe we don't even have Muslims today. If the church doesn't tell the Africans how to dress, eat, sleep, and dress, and dance, maybe we don't have Islamic faith today. Uh, and so just some real warnings about how we deal with conflict and how we deal with other people in terms of sharing our life. 
uh, right here in our own communities. And a great model of reconciliation uh, that we get here in Acts chapter 15. I encourage you to read it uh, for homework, chapter 15 in Acts again, and uh, spend some time with it and see how those leaders stepped up um, to keep the main thing the main thing and, and to, to bring everybody back in order get everybody on the same page, to compromise a little bit, and then to send everybody back out, unified with the message that God's love and the life that comes from Christ is for everyone. And uh, we don't have to have any undue burdens on us as well. It's free of charge, even free from circumcision um, as you go forward. And there's a powerful lesson um, as we go. We will see going forward uh, in next week's reading, is, uh, we'll, we'll go a little bit further in Acts, and uh, the gospel is still spreading beyond, um, but it's still, there's still going to be some issues to, to overcome. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you be with us as we reflect on this scripture and on these passages of scripture.